Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can now turn to Matthew chapter 6. Next week, as Joel was saying, we're going to be starting our sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians. But as we are beginning a new year, we thought a wonderful way to begin would be to focus on prayer. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me, beginning in verse 5, or the words will also be on the screen above me. But Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the streets, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And this is our text for this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. If I were to take a a poll here this morning and ask everyone to rate their prayer life, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hand or anything, but but if I was to take a poll and ask you to to rate the quality of your prayer life from from 0 to 10 and to to factor in effectiveness in prayer and regularity and, and, uh, and passion in your prayers, I imagine that many of us may give ourselves low scores, right? We, uh, we know that God calls us to pray. We, we see examples of prayer all throughout Scripture, but when, when it comes to our own prayer life, we often find it rather difficult, right? Oftentimes we, we don't know what to pray. When we go before God in prayer, we, we feel awkward as we talk to him. Or, or maybe, I don't know if any of you can relate to this one, but, but maybe you, you resolve to, to pray early in the morning so you, so you get up for that first time and you have your cup of coffee and you're, you get comfy on the couch and you begin to pray and then 20 minutes later you wake up. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, or, or maybe... Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time and nothing seems to be changing. And we wonder what's wrong with our prayer life that it doesn't seem to be affecting anything. We, we know that prayer is super important, but most of the time, it just seems really hard, right? And we're not alone in this. Tim Keller, who, who wrote a wonderful book on prayer, wrote this. He says, I can think of nothing great that is also easy. Prayer must be one of the hardest things in the world. So if you're like Tim Keller, or if you're like me, and you find prayer to be one of the difficult aspects of the Christian life, then this morning's passage is for you. And my hope this morning is that God's word is going to both encourage us to pray and is going to guide us as we pray. Here's the, the main idea of our, of our message this morning, is that effective prayer is possible because God is a gracious and mighty Father. 
Effective prayer is possible because God is a gracious and mighty Father. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at this by, by examining two things. First, we're gonna look at who do we pray to? And second, we're gonna ask, what should we pray for? So first, who do we pray to? So Jesus, this prayer is, is, a, is a model of prayer that Jesus offers to us. And as he offers this model of prayer, he does not begin by listing out a bunch of things for us to pray for. Instead, he begins by reminding us who we pray to. In verse nine, he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Church, as we consider this call to prayer this morning, we must first consider who it is that we bring our prayers to. These opening two words of the Lord's Prayer may perhaps be the most important part of this prayer because it's here that Jesus reminds us who we pray to. That person is our Father. Jesus says that when we bring our prayers before God, that we do so as children coming before their Father. And the fact that this is how Jesus says that we should relate to God when we pray to him should be such an encouragement to us this morning. See, there, there are lots of ways that God could ask us to relate to him when we pray. But it's significant that Jesus does not say, when you pray, pray like this, our king in heaven, or our master in heaven, or our authority in heaven. God is, of course, all these things, but that's not how he invites us to relate to him in prayer. He says, when you come to me, approach me as your father. Now, some of us had good fathers growing up. Some of us had poor fathers growing up, or perhaps had no father growing up. And some of us here, when when you think about a father, you may think of someone who is cold, distant, perhaps even abusive. And so the the comfort of thinking of God as a father may not feel natural to everyone here in this room. And and of course, none of us had perfect fathers, right? But but we all know what a father is supposed to be, right? And maybe it's just that father that you have longed for throughout your life. A good father is someone who loves you and is for you and protects you. And that you can count on in those moments when you are in need. That they will, they will drop anything to provide for you. They're your dad. And you just trust that they're going to know what to do. And the other thing about a good father is that they are approachable. A, a good father, if their son or daughter is in need, they will be there for them. Right? And they don't have to make an appointment. You know, they don't have to get their act together first. When they are in need, they just go find their dad and he will make it right. And that's the, that's the difference between a father and, say, a, a king, you know, or, or a CEO or, or a boss. You know, for most of these high-up authority figures in our lives, we don't just walk up to them and expect them to drop everything to meet with us, right? You know, if you're, if you're looking for a promotion at work, you don't go over to your boss's house at dinner time and just start chatting with him, right? You, you set up a meeting, you, you pull all your accomplishments together, you, you rehearse what you want to say 20 times over, right? Or, or imagine if, if you wanted to talk to the, the President of the United States. Um, that is not a house that you just walk up to and start having a chat. You know, 
They have snipers on the roof, right? If you, just, if you hop that fence and just walk up to the president and expect to talk to him, you have another thing coming to you, right? And, that, and that's nothing compared to a king, right? Now, we don't, we don't have kings in our society, but, but we see in the movies, right? Like, you don't see the king unless you're summoned by the king. And when you are, you better act right. You better, you better bow at the right time and, and you better make sure that you don't overextend your stay. You don't want your head chopped off for saying the wrong thing, right? You know, but you know, the, the thing is with, with authority figures like these in our lives, like kings or CEOs or bosses, the, the quality of our relationship with them is, is performance-based. You have to stand out. You have to prove yourself to be worthy. And then maybe you can gain an audience with them and be heard. But that's not how it is with children and their father, right? Because that relationship is based on grace. It's based on love. That affection doesn't have to be earned. He's there for you no matter what. That is how Jesus says that we we are to approach God in prayer. Yes, he is the king. In fact, he is the king of kings but we are sons and daughters of that king. Tim Keller says this. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. I don't know what your prayer life is like, but I know for me, often my, my prayers are hindered because I don't really believe that I have this type of access to the king of kings. And I think, you know, I better get myself cleaned up before I approach God. Or I can think, I'm not even sure that praying is going to make a difference because I'm not sure that God even wants to hear from me today. But that is often because I I don't walk in this, this almost unbelievable privilege that we have to come before God, not first as king, but as father. But not just any father. The text says, Father in heaven. He is also the king. The one who right now holds the universe together. The one who has all power and authority over all things. The one who knows our prayers before we even ask them and is fully capable of answering all of those prayers. He says to us this morning, sons, daughters, you have my full attention this morning. The first two words of the Lord's Prayer give us all the reason that we need to pray. Our Father in heaven. Those words should amaze us. They should comfort us. They should compel us to pray this coming year. And with this confidence in mind, let's now move on to point two, which is what should we pray for? One of the wonderful things about the Lord's Prayer is that it serves as a guide to us as we seek to know how we should pray. Here we have Jesus himself saying, when you pray, pray like this. Now that should carry a lot of weight for us, right? This is Jesus himself telling us this is how you should pray. Now, this doesn't mean that that when we pray we should use these exact words. This is not a a formula that we have to follow in our prayers. Um, Instead, Jesus is helping us to understand the purpose of prayer and the types of things that should regularly be on our heart to pray for. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna walk phrase by phrase through the Lord's Prayer and learn from Jesus how we should pray. In verse nine, Jesus says, 
with this. He begins with this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now it's interesting here that the the opening of this prayer, and actually the, the first whole half of this prayer, does not have much to do with our needs or our circumstances. The, the, the last half of the prayer is very much about our needs and our circumstances, but not the first part. The first part is about God himself. This opening prayer, hallowed be your name, serves as a, as a banner over the entire prayer. So, so what does this mean? What does hallowed be your name mean? Well, the word hallowed means to be honored or to be glorious, to be praiseworthy. It's important here that, that, the, that the, the prayer, hallowed be your name, it's, it's not a declaration that God is glorious. It's a request. And the, and the request is not that God would become glorious, or that he would, it would, it would, it's that he would be seen as glorious. I, th- I think that most of you by now know that I love mountains. There's little in life that's more refreshing to me, inspiring to me, than standing before a beautiful mountain. And the, the most beautiful mountain I think I've ever stood beside is Mount Rainier in Washington State. Beautiful mountain. And the first time I think I ever stood before, I think I just, I stood there for like 45 minutes. I didn't move, I didn't say anything. I just stood there basking in the beauty of this mountain. But here's the thing. That mountain existed as it was for thousands of years before I ever laid eyes on it. The, the beauty and the majesty of Mount Rainier was very real before I ever experienced it. You know, I'd heard about it, I'd read about it, I kind of knew in my head that it was a beautiful mountain, but it wasn't until I was there, experienced for, my, for, it, for myself, that I saw it for what it was. In that moment, the, the mountain was not changed, it was, it was myself that was changed as I experienced the beauty of it. I think all of us have had experiences like this, right? Either beautiful places in nature or, or tasting our favorite food for the first time or, or the first time that we ever fell in love with somebody. What happens in these moments is, is our affections are changed. We see something to be good that we had not quite seen before. And that is what this prayer, hallowed be your name, is getting after. It's not a declaration that God is glorious and worthy and satisfying. It's not a request that he would become glorious or worthy or satisfying. Hallowed be your name means, God, we want to see you as glorious. We want to experience you as satisfying. We want to taste and see that you are good. And church, don't you want this? When we, when we sing songs on Sunday mornings, don't you want to be captivated by the glory of God? Don't you want to be moved by how worthy he is of our praise? When you open up God's word to read it, don't you want your experience to be amazement at how much God loves you? And don't you want that amazement to transform into joy and peace and rest? When you share the gospel with your neighbors, what we want is for our neighbors to see that all their hope in this world is Christ and for their lives to be transformed by the beauty of the gospel. That's why we're here this morning. We want God's name to be hallowed in our lives, in the life of our church, in the lives of the world around us. And now, I want to pause here, and I want to speak to anyone who, who in hearing this prayer, might actually be starting to feel a little discouraged. Because you think, well, that's, that's not exactly... Uh, the, the usual inclination of my heart. 
That's not always my experience in my relationship with God. That's, that's not really what I always want more than anything else in this world. Exactly. That's why Jesus says, pray for this. We pray for this because our affections are often misplaced. And, and we are not able to force our affections to change, right? We could read the Bible five hours a week or a day. We could, we could listen to Christian music all day long. You know, we could, we could come to church every day of the week, but unless God, through the work of the Spirit, produces in our hearts affections for Him, it will not happen. That's why Jesus says, pray this for your life. Pray this for your church. Pray this for your neighbors, because we need God to do it. And if you're trying to find a way to have more peace or more love for God and have greater affections for Christ and more love for his word, but your main priority in prayer is not asking him to help you in that, it's not going to happen. John Piper says, prayer allows us to daily tie ourselves back to that one great purpose and source of our lives. Set your mind and heart to enjoy God daily and display him daily and plead with him for eyes to see his glory in his word and in this world. I love that. And church, imagine with me. Imagine if we gave ourselves to prayer this coming year, 2022, and that our prayers were primarily that God would cause our hearts to know him and love him and adore him and if all our other prayers would have that main prayer in mind, and if as we as individuals, and if we as a church together made that our biggest prayer, our most regular prayer, more than anything else in our lives. If we did that, church, I firmly believe that our lives, our relationships, our joy, our love for others would look radically different a year from now than it does now. Hallowed be your name. Let that be the banner that hangs over your life and your prayers this coming year. And let that influence all those other prayers, which is, which is exactly what the Lord's prayer does. Look at me with me now how, how the Lord's prayer continues in verse 10. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so here, the prayer goes from God, would you help me to see your glory to God, would that effect be transformation in this world? Jesus is saying, let the cry of your heart be that God's will would be accomplished in your life and the life of those around you. That God would produce righteousness in us. That we'd be a church that grows in love for one another. That the gospel would advance. That we would grow in holiness. And instead of just asking that God would change the circumstances of our lives, let us ask that God would change us. What, what could be a better, safer, more beautiful prayer than God, your will be done? But again, we must remember why we're called to pray for this, right? because we know that God's will is not always our will, particularly when God's plan in our lives involves difficulty, involves trials. There are moments in life where it's much easier to pray, my will be done, right? But you know what is truly beautiful about the Lord's Prayer? Jesus 
didn't just command us to pray this prayer while he himself sat on his throne unaware of the difficulties of a prayer like, God, your will be done. Church, remember the Garden of Gethsemane. We're just hours before Christ gave himself to be crucified on a cross. He prayed this same prayer. Mark 14, this is Christ in the garden hours before walking this path towards his death on the cross. And he says this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. In this moment, the humanity of Jesus knows what is before him. He knows that he has been betrayed by his friend. He's about to be abandoned by all of his disciples. He's gonna be beaten. His back is going to be ripped apart with whips. He's gonna be mocked by those that he came to save. He's gonna be crucified on a cross. He's gonna die a slow, agonizing death and then all the wrath of God that we deserve is gonna be poured on him. And so imagine the agony of this moment for Jesus as he prayed this prayer. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that the, the fear and the trauma of this moment for Jesus was so great that he sweated drops of blood. And he cried, Father, remove this cup from me. Part of Christ was crying out for another way. The path before him was terrifying. And so in this hour, Jesus went before the Lord in prayer and in his great love for us and in his great obedience to God, he prayed a prayer that would forever change the course of our lives. He said, not my will, but your will be done. Meaning, what I want more than anything else is for you, O God, to be glorified in this world. And for lost sinners to be reconciled and redeemed and to be brought into relationship with you. And so I'm willing to endure the cross for the sake of your kingdom. Our salvation hinged on that prayer that Jesus prayed that night. The Lord's prayer is not just a prayer that Jesus calls us to pray. He himself prayed it. He lived it. That's how much God, that's how much he loved you. And more importantly, that's how much Christ was committed to the will of his Father. Let that be, let that example be our boldness to pray the same prayer, church. And oh, how we need God's help in this. If Jesus needed to pray this prayer, church, how much more do we need to pray this prayer? Ultimately, the, the Lord's prayer is a prayer of dependence upon God for all these things. And we see that as we move into the, the second half of the prayer. We see that it's all an expression of dependence on God. The, the first half of the prayer focuses mainly on the glory of God, and the second half of the prayer focuses on our dependence on God. In verses thir uh, 11 through 13, we see three main categories of dependence on him. And we're gonna go through these final verses quickly, but the first in, in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now here's a prayer 
that I think that we find more natural, right? It's the prayer, God, would you provide for my needs? It's, it's where we recognize our dependence upon God for all things, for health, for finances, for, for strength to make it through the day. And, and God loves to answer these prayers. It is good to ask these things. We, we should pray them for ourselves and for others. But, but let me point out something here that I think might be a helpful challenge to us as we pray this prayer. When we think of the Lord's Prayer, we, we might think, okay, so, so the first half of this prayer is just me praying about God's glory and for God's kingdom and his will, but now the second half of the prayer is about me, it's about my needs. But, but church, we should not ask God to give us our daily bread in a way which is detached from the rest of the prayer. Follow the flow of this prayer with me. It begins with, God, would you be glorified? Would your kingdom come? Would your will be done? And then, out of that desire, we ask that God would provide for us so that we can participate in that kingdom, so that we can follow him, so that we can enjoy and be satisfied in him. Give us our daily bread doesn't mean give me what I want. It means give me what I need to be satisfied in you, to honor you with my life, to follow you with my life. And of course, this, this doesn't mean that we, we can't bring our desires before God, right? He is a God who, who loves to hear from us. He says, cast your burdens, all of your burdens on me. We don't have to be, we don't have to be cold and, and calculated in our, our prayers and say, okay, God, you know, it's whatever you want. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. No, pour your hearts out to God. He loves to hear your requests. Let the desires of your heart be known to him but do so in a way which acknowledges who God is. He's a father who loves to provide for you and he's a father who knows what is best for you, even better than we do. For those of you who have kids, or for those of you who have spent time around kids, uh, you know that sometimes they ask for things that are not always good, are not always in their best interest. I don't have kids, but I have several nephews, and they're all awesome. But my brother was telling me the story the other day about one of my nephews, and uh, apparently recently, one of their kids uh, has begun asking for more and more water throughout the day. And at, at first, uh, they were glad about this, because it's good to drink water, so they're happy to supply it to him. Um, but they became quickly suspicious when he began asking for more and more water in shorter and shorter intervals of time. Um, like he would ask for a big cup of water and then 30 seconds later he'd come back into the room, cup is completely empty, asking for more. And he's not a big kid, so he's not, he's not drinking all this water. And uh, so my brother decided the next time that his son asked for a cup of water, he was going to give it to him. But instead of just going back to whatever he was doing, he was going to kind of dis- discreetly follow him and find out what is happening with all this water. And so my nephew comes up, he's got a big empty cup. He says, Dad, can I have more water? He says, sure, he gives him water, and then nephew walks away. And so my brother follows him. As my nephew walks over to the corner of the house, where one of those uh, heating vents are on the bottom of the floor, and he just takes the cup, and he just pours the whole cup down this vent. And apparently for weeks, he had been taking, he had not been drinking any of this water he'd been asking for. He'd been taking and dumping it down various vents in the house. And so my brother says, what are you doing? And my nephew, he looks up and he says, 
um, pouring water down this hole. Like, like duh, you know, like, it seemed pretty clear and obvious and, and a, a good, reasonable thing to be doing and asking for, right? And uh, I mean, I don't really know where those vents go. It's water heater or something. I'm, I'm no engineer, but I'm assuming that it's not good to just be pouring endless amounts of water down these vents, right? But this is what kids do, right? These are the type of things that kids ask for and are, think are good. And, uh, and you know, we probably, more than we like to admit, are similar to my nephew in these ways. And, and our dependence upon God, it needs to be a willingness to admit that we don't always see the full picture. We don't always ask for what is best. Our prayers need to be shaped by the understanding that we don't always know what is best for our lives. But this is hard, right? And, and on a very serious note, often the things that we pray for, they seem so good. But like, how could God possibly not want this for my life? Some of you have been praying prayers like that this week or this coming year or, the, or this past year. Prayers for healing. Prayers for a job. Prayers for relationship. Prayers that seem good things that seem like they should be a loving Father's desire for us. And sometimes we think that if we just pray hard enough, if we just pray with enough faith, if we can just show God that we are dedicated to our prayers, that then he will give us what we want. And again, pour out your prayers to him, church. Let the desires of your hearts be known. He's moved by those prayers. He loves to provide for us but let your prayers also be guided by trust in your Father in heaven who knows our needs before we ask them, who knows them better than we do. There is peace in that. There is peace and rest in knowing that God is aware of our needs and has good plans to meet them, even if those plans don't look like exactly how we would want them to look like. And these needs, they, they go beyond just the, the physical or circumstances in our lives. Verses 12 through 13, they speak not just of, of physical needs, but of spiritual needs. 12 through 13, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, when Jesus says to forgive us our debts, it's important to understand that this prayer is not a prayer that God would justify us again. The Lord's prayer is not a prayer of salvation. It's, it's a prayer of someone who has already been forgiven, who has already been justified by the blood of Christ. But even those of us who have been justified, we still continue in sin. And when we sin, that sin hinders our fellowship with God. And so this prayer is a prayer of confession, acknowledging our sin that we might be restored again to deeper personal fellowship with the Father. It's important that in our prayers we regularly confess our sins to God. And perhaps even this morning, maybe there's, there's sins in your life from this past week, from this past year, that you are wrestling with and have gone unconfessed and as resulting in, in shame resulting in, in distance to your relationship with God. It is hindering your prayers in other areas. 
confess your sin. Even this morning. But know that you confess your sin to a Father who is eager to forgive you. Eager to restore us to fellowship with himself. Eager to welcome us back into his arms as sons and daughters. And finally in verse 13, see that God's desire is not only to restore you to fellowship with him, but to keep us in fellowship with him. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here again is dependence on God. We ask him to protect us from sin and temptation and to deliver us from anything in this world that would pull us away from him. It's a prayer that recognizes that fellowship with God and obedience to God is the great purpose of our lives. Church, we should so value this, so regularly cry out to God, asking him for strength and protection so that we might enjoy him and glorify him and follow him all of our days. This is the Lord's Prayer, church. It's perhaps the richest source that we have on what prayer is. It's a prayer that Jesus himself prayed for our sake. There's no better prayer that could be prayed. What a gift that God has given us in this prayer. As we finish here this morning, I want to leave us with just a, a couple of ways that we can grow in prayer this coming year. A couple of just very simple, practical ways. And one of them is to use the Lord's Prayer as we pray. This is what God gave it to us for. And we don't necessarily use the same words, but use this prayer as a guide for your own prayers. Especially in those moments when you don't know what to pray, which I've had many of. And some of my, my most sweetest moments of prayer have been opening up Matthew 6, and then praying phrase by phrase through this prayer. Begin with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then spend time in your own words praising God for who he is. Asking that he would increase your affections for him. Asking that his will be done in your life. And then pray phrase by phrase through this prayer. It's, it's not the only way to pray, but it is a wonderful way to pray. In fact, in the coming weeks, some of our fellowship groups are gonna be spending part of their time, one of those evenings, praying through this prayer together. And praying together is something that we want to mark our church this coming year. And in fact, if you notice, the wording of the Lord's Prayer, it's corporate in nature. Jesus does not say, pray like this, my Father in heaven. No, it's, it's our Father in heaven. It's not give me my daily bread, it's give us our daily bread. We are called to pray with each other and for each other as a family. We wanna do this as a church. We think that God is calling us to more of this this coming year, church. And there are many opportunities to do that. Some simple ones, every Sunday morning, 9.30, here in front of the stage, we gather, whoever wants to, can gather and pray before our Sunday gatherings. 6.45 in the morning, every Wednesday, many gather at our church office and read a chapter of, about prayer together and then pray together as a church. It's coming Saturday. We're having a night of prayer and worship together. We'd love for you to make an effort to join us for many of these times of prayer as a church family. God calls us to pray 
And he's shown us how to pray. And he meets us when we do so. Let's resolve this coming year to pray with each other and to pray for each other. Amen? As we close here, I invite the band to come back up. I'm gonna finish by praying the Lord's Prayer. So bow your heads. Pray this prayer with me now. Our Father in heaven, you are majestic and merciful. You are far above us, yet you call us to come before you as sons and daughters. Hallowed be your name. Make your name to be honored and treasured above all things, in our hearts most of all and in this world around us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want your all-wise, just will to be done in this world. Just as you are obeyed and worshiped in heaven, just as you are glorified and enjoyed in heaven, would you move in our lives so that would be true for us as well. Give us this day our daily bread. We need you, God. We depend upon you for all things. We don't ask for riches but we ask that you would give us what we need to follow you and to honor you with our lives. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Thank you that you are a merciful God, quick to forgive, quick to restore us to you. We confess our sins. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the great love and sacrifice of your son, Jesus, on the cross. All our hope in this life is in him. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We don't want to go on sinning. Guard us from sin and Satan. Give us strength to walk in holiness and to honor you in all our days. We pray this in Jesus' name, the one who taught us to pray. Amen.